Amen. So if you will, go ahead and turn your Bibles to the book of 1 John. We're going to be in chapter 3 today, and we're continuing our series through the book of 1 John titled, What is Real? And the title of the message today is A Message of Love. So I'm going to give you guys a few seconds to find your place. 1 John chapter 3, and I'm going to have you stand whenever you find that. We're going to begin in verse 13. So 1 John chapter 3, beginning in verse 13. All right, let's read together. Verse 13, Do not be surprised, brothers and sisters, if the world hates you. We know that we have passed from death to life because we love our brothers and sisters. The one who does not love remains in death. Everyone who hates his brother or sister is a murderer, and you know that no murderer has eternal life residing in him. This is how we have come to know love. He laid down his life for us. We should also lay down our lives for our brothers and And sisters. Let's pray together. Dear God, thank you for your word. Lord, I'm so thankful that it is unchanging, that the world will pass away, but your word will endure forever. And God, we're thankful for the truth that you've given us today. We're thankful, God, for the precious children who came to Vacation Bible School. We're thankful, God, for the families and the parents who came to Pole Creek today. And God, as we listen to your word, I pray that you would speak to our hearts. We give you this service, Holy Spirit, for it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. So have you ever thought about the different kind of messages that are coming at us every single day? I mean, there is constantly messaging that is bombarding our lives. As you're going down the interstate, you're seeing billboard after billboard after billboard. When you're on social media, you're not only reading the posts from your friends and family, but every so often you're going to see an ad, a sponsored ad, trying to advertise a product or something like that. Also, when you look at news stations and and media networks, they are messaging to you, trying to communicate something to you. Many organizations have underlying foundations that they're trying to convey to the public. They're trying to get people to believe what they believe. It's a form of indoctrination, if you will, many times where we have certain groups in our society that thinks that we should all think and believe the exact same way that they do. Maybe you've seen bumper stickers lately, and we live in Asheville, so I know you've seen bumper stickers lately. Amen? Sometimes you'll see the Black Lives Matter bumper stickers, right? Now, I will say this. Black lives do matter. Amen? Black lives do matter. But the Black Lives Organization is basically Marxism wrapped up in social justice. It is not actually helping our society or any particular ethnicity or any minority. But we do know that Black Lives Matter is messaging to us and to our children today. Maybe you've seen a rainbow flag lately. Raise your hand if you've seen a rainbow flag lately. Yeah, they're everywhere, right? We know that even that flag comes with certain messages and certain messaging. We know that as Christians, the original rainbow was because of the Noahic covenant of God's promise that he would not flood the earth. But we also know that today in modern day world that it stands for LGBTQ plus um, R-S-T-U-V-W-X-Y-Z, right? So it, it stands for a whole different gamut of things, but they're messaging things to us because they're pulling for our hearts and they're trying to fight for our mind and our attention. So it's very, very difficult sometimes in this world that we're living in with all of these different messages to dig through the different messages to find which one is true and which one is real. 
Now, I'm going to convey to you today from God's word a message of love. And this message, I will tell you, is true. Now, here at Pole Creek, we have six core values. And our first core value is that scripture is our foundation. We stand on the word of God. And we know that the word of God is truth. Jesus himself said in John 17, 17, he was praying to God about his disciples. He said, sanctify them with your truth. Your word is truth. We know that God's word is infinitely true and unchanging. It is objective truth. It does not change with culture. It does not change with preferences. Whatever God's word says, we stand on. It's like I was saying the other day. If I'm reading through the word of God and it tells me something or it aligns a different way than I do, my job is not to change God's word to fit my perspective. My calling from God Almighty is that I would change my perspective to line up with the word of God. And that's what we all must do as Christians. We must submit to the authority of the word of God and the message that it conveys and the message that it teaches. So as we look at that, we understand that these uh, corporations and these advertising agencies are throwing billions and billions of dollars to try to fight for your beliefs, to try to fight for your loyalty, to try to fight for your money and your business. So maybe you're awake now and maybe you can understand the importance of knowing why you believe what you believe. I think the most detrimental thing to Christianity today is that we have a uh, Tons of people who claim to be Christians, but they have no idea what they believe. I'm a Christian because I grew up in a Christian home. I'm a Christian because I went to church growing up. I'm a Christian because of this. No, the Bible says that a Christian is someone who follows Christ. We understand that a Christian is someone who is trusted in Jesus and been transformed by the power of the Holy Spirit. So we must know what we believe and why we believe it. So verse 11 in 1 John chapter 3 is going to kick us off as we talk about this message of love. 1 John chapter 3 beginning in verse 11. For this is the message you have heard from the beginning. We should love one another. You know, it's really cool that the VBS theme this year was found in 1 Chronicles chapter 16 verse 34. And this is the verse. Give thanks to the Lord for he is good. His faithful love endures forever. So as we go through 1 John here, we're asking ourselves what is real. We're thinking through the messaging that is coming at our minds and at our hearts and at the minds of our family and loved ones and co-workers and neighbors. We need to ask God to realign our heart to match his word, to realign our false presuppositions and our false understandings, our false beliefs, enlighten us to show us what is true and what is real. So I want to talk about three different things that God's message of love does. Three different things. The first thing that I want us to see is that the message of love that God gives us is a love that honors life. A love that honors life. Read with me there in 1 John chapter 3 beginning in verse 12. Unlike Cain who was of the evil one and murdered his brother, and why did he murder him? Because his deeds were evil and his brothers were righteous. Do not be surprised, brothers and sisters, if the world hates you. We know that we have passed from death to life because we love our brothers and sisters. The one who does not love remains in death. 
Everyone who hates his brother or sister is a murderer, and you know that no murderer has eternal life residing in him. This is how we have come to know love. He laid down his life for us. We should also lay down our lives for our brothers and our sisters. In verse 12, we see that Cain was an example of a life consumed by hatred. Now, you have to understand, they were only one generation removed from the very first two human beings that God created. We understand that Adam and Eve were created in a perfect paradise in the Garden of Eden. There was no sin. There was no pain. There was no tears. We understand, though, that Adam and Eve came to a place where they knew God's command not to touch a particular tree, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. But we also understand that they rebelled against God, took of the tree, and that's what's entered in, when that's when sin entered in. We then know that Cain and Abel, their relationship and what became of Abel was a product of the choices that Adam and Eve made. By sin entering into the human race, that then brought man to a place of sinfulness. That then brought mankind to a place of separation from God. You know what's interesting about humanity? We love to rebel against God. All sin always goes back to this. I would rather be God than let God be God. I want to call the shots in my life, not God. And when we have a mentality like that, that is sin. That's when we fall into sin. If you think about murder, you think about stealing, you think about cheating, you think about lying, you think about adultery, all of those stem from us wanting to be our own gods us rebelling against the truth of God's word and saying, God, I know you're the eternal creator, but this time I think this is going to be better for me. And we rebel against his perfect holiness and his infinite wisdom. Well, that's what Cain did. See, Cain and Abel were commanded to bring sacrifices to God. They were commanded to sacrifice to him to atone for their sins. So Abel was obedient to God and he would bring of his flock. He was a shepherd and he would bring the animal and he would sacrifice it on the altar to God. However, Cain, out of the rebellion of his heart, because he loved to garden and he loved to farm and he loved to grow food, decided, I am not going to offer a a lamb. I am not going to offer blood. Instead, I think my vegetables and my fruit are a lot more beautiful than those little lambs, and I'm going to offer some of my fruit and my vegetables. Well, he takes it and he offers it to God, and what happens? God says, no, I don't accept that. And God wasn't being mean, but God is holy, and God is perfect. And we have to understand the Bible teaches us, and this is consistent from Genesis to Revelation, that there is no forgiveness of sins without the shedding of blood. Cain could not have his sins atoned for by offering produce. He had to offer blood. We know as now looking on the other side of the cross, looking back to the event of Jesus' crucifixion, that Jesus was the once and for all sacrifice, that his blood was shed so that sins could be forgiven both past, present, and future for all people who will trust in him. And even back when you go to Genesis, where God commanded Cain and Abel to offer those sacrifices, that was pointing forward to the day when Jesus would offer the perfect sacrifice of himself. So Cain was rebelling. And you know what rebellion against God always leads to? Death. It either leads to the death of someone else or it leads to your own death. Every single time. 
We know that we go on down in that story of Cain and Abel, and here as the Apostle John is accounting that story in chapter 3, he begins to talk about how Cain was of the evil one and murdered his brother in verse 12. Then he says, and why did he murder him? What's, why, what could bring another human being to murder their own brother? Do you know the Bible's got the answer? It's actually the next part of that verse. Let's read that. What would bring a person to murder their own brother because his deeds were evil and his brothers were righteous? It's the heart of mankind. It's that sinful nature. Listen, before we know Jesus, before we come into a relationship with God, we are slaves to sin. Did you know that? See, the world, what the world will tell you is, Christians, you don't have any fun. We, we, as, as lost people, we can party, we can go to the best bars, we can do the things that we know we shouldn't be doing, but it's fun. We can do all of that stuff, but y'all can't. Well, the Bible has a perspective that shows that in actuality, those who are doing those things are being deceived to think that that is the purpose of life and that ultimately those things will bring destruction upon their life and that they have to do those things because they're slaves to sin. Sin is their master. But you know what? When you get saved and you trust Jesus, when you fall into this message of love that the Apostle John is talking about, you come out of being a slave to sin and you become free. The Bible teaches us where the Holy Spirit is, there is liberty. There is freedom in God. The Bible teaches us that God set us free by his son Jesus on the cross. So when we're set free, sin no longer has the power over me that it once had. Here Cain was a slave to sin. And because in his heart he was jealous, because he hated God, because he rebelled against the command of God, he ended up murdering his brother. It brought death. The rebellion against God brought death upon his brother. Darkness always seeks to destroy the image of God. Now I want you to think about that for a minute. The very first place you find that word, that, that phrase, image of God, is in Genesis chapter 1. I think it's verse 27. And when you read that, we understand that God made man in his own image. He created them male and female. What exactly is this image thing that the Bible talks about? What it is is that God made us special. He made us in a way that he did not make the dogs, the monkeys, the giraffes, and all other of the animal kingdom. He made us special. And what it is, we are the image of God, which means we reflect God's glory because we have an eternal soul. We have a moral consciousness. We know right from wrong. We have an empathy and a love for other people. So, so all those things combined, we are reflecting the image of God to a lost and a dying world. We are made in God's image. We're special. And what Satan wants to do is, is he wants to destroy the image of God. That's why rebellion against God always leads to death. Because Satan's ultimate goal is death. His hope for you is death. He hopes that you die physically, and he also hopes that you die spiritually. And he is going to do everything that he can do to put the right people in your life to get you to make the right decisions to bring your death about much quicker. And when we think through that, we understand that death is a product of sin. Adam and Eve, when they were in the Garden of Eden, they did not understand death. 
upon the time they were created because death was not a reality yet. Sin entered in and the clock started ticking to a time where every man would be appointed to die. That's what rebellion against God always brings. Satan wants to destroy the image of God. He wants to destroy you. And you know, Christians, we have a foundation for why we value human lives. See, I value you as another human being because you are creating God's image. Because you are not just some act of randomness. You're not just a bag of, of biological stuff that got here by chance. You're not just something that just appeared one day because you evolved from fish. You are intricately made by the creator of the universe. The Bible teaches us that you were knit together in your mother's womb. You are created in the image of God and you are eternally valuable. Amen? That's why Satan hates you and that's why he wants to bring death to you. But you know what's beautiful about love, this message of love we're talking about? Where Satan and rebellion against God seeks to kill you, the love, the message of love seeks to preserve and honor all life. It blows my mind the day and age we live in. You know, and I'm not, I'm not against people wearing masks. I don't want you to think that. But there's a group of people who are very, very strict about you wearing a mask because of COVID. But then some of those very same people will say that it's okay to abort a child in their mother's womb. I'm sorry, but the logic does not track, right? If life is eternally valuable, then life should be eternally valuable from conception until death. Whether you're conceiving your mother's womb and you're only three days old, or whether you're a 95-year-old in solace, you are eternally valuable. And that tracks from start to finish. And by the way, that's the message of love today. Amen. So verses 13 through 15 show us that hatred is a direct evidence that death reigns in our world. 13 through 15, let's read that. Do not be surprised, brothers and sisters. If the world hates you, we know that we have passed from death to life because we love our brothers and sisters. The one who does not love remains in death. Everyone who hates his brother or sister is a murderer, and you know that no murderer has eternal life residing in him. This is how we have come to know love. He laid down his life for us. We should also lay down our life for others. Even Jesus said in Matthew chapter 5 in the Sermon on the Mount, you have heard, you have heard that it was said to our ancestors, do not murder. And whoever murders will be subject to judgment. But I tell you, everyone who is angry with his brother or sister will be subject to judgment. Whoever insults his brother or sister will be subject to the court. Whoever says you fool will be subject to hellfire. So if you are offering your gift on the altar, and there you remember that your brother or sister has something against you, leave your gift there in front of the altar. First go and be reconciled with your brother or sister. And then come and offer your gift. Reach a settlement quickly with your adversary while you're on the way with him to the court. Or your adversary will hand you over to the judge and the judge to the officer and you will be thrown into prison. Truly I tell you, you will never get out of here until you have paid the last penny. We know that even Jesus said that hatred is the beginning of murder. When you hate your brother or sister, when you're angry with another person, when in your heart you wish them harm, that is murder in your heart. That is rebelling against God and hating the image of God. Let's just say this. Let's say you were in your backyard and you find a bone, right? You grab this bone and you think, hey, this, is, this looks like a, a horse or a cow bone or something, but it's a really cool shape, so I'm going to take it back in my house and use it as a paperweight. 
All right? So then one day your friend comes by and he sees that bone on your desk and he's like, dude, why do you have a human femur on your desk? All of a sudden, the conversation just got really serious. Why? Why? Because the image of God matters. Because humanity is eternally valuable. The reason it's not a big deal to find a horse bone or even a dog bone in your yard is because God did not make horses or dogs in his image. But you find a human bone, everything gets serious. There's actually people, if you don't, I don't know if you know this or not, who collect human bones, which is kind of weird. Well, it's real weird, actually. So. <laughs> but they have to have documentation to say that it is legitimate and legal for them to have those bones because it's a human, right? And you don't just keep human bones hanging around the house lackadaisically, right? So, so it goes back to show that the image of God is important and that Satan and sin always seeks to destroy God's image. The message of love that God gives us is a love that honors life. And I want you to understand that honors life, all life, all humanity. Love in this passage is the Greek word agape. Now, Greek is a beautiful language because it is so much more detailed than English. There's actually four different words in the Greek that mean love. So since we only have one word in English to really represent those four, as you're reading through Scripture, sometimes it'll say, still say love in your English Bible, but it may be a different uh, Greek word for love. So there's agape, there's storos, there's phileo, and um, uh, eros. So there's four different kinds of loves, but agape love is the love that is unconditional. It's the love that receives no merit for its uh, initiation. It doesn't say that you have to do something for me to, for me to love you. It doesn't say that we have to be in a particular relationship for me to love you. It doesn't say that you have to somehow do something to get love. Agape love is fully unconditional love. So as scripture here is talking about this message of love, we're understanding that this love that God commands us to have and the love that God gives us by sending his son Jesus to die for us is an unconditional love. So that means that you're supposed to love your neighbor. That means you're supposed to love others because they're nice to you. No. Because they mow your yard for you when you're on vacation. No. Because they make your life easy. No. You're supposed to love others because God made them in his image. And now that'll speak to you pretty heavy when you're on Interstate 26 trying to get home from work, won't it? <laughs> you may say, Ben, that's just road rage. No, you're hating that person in that car in front of you. Let's just be honest. You're hating them. They are an obstacle in front of you keeping you from getting home, right? And you hate them because of it. Remember what the Bible says? You're murdering them in your heart. God made them in, in his image. I don't care if they know how to drive or not. And a lot of people don't, but listen, they're created in the image of God, amen, and we need to love them. Secondly, I want y'all to see this. This message of love that God gives us is a love that meets needs. In verses 17 and 18, we see this very clearly. If anyone has this world's goods and sees a fellow believer in need but withholds compassion from him, how does God's love reside in him? Little children, let us not love in word or speech, but in action and truth. You know, one thing that we are very careful of here at Pole Creek when it comes to supporting missions through our church's um, tithes and offerings is that we are not just supporting humanitarian organizations, right? We are not just trying to feed 
the hungry. We are not just trying to shelter the homeless. We are not just trying to clothe the naked. That is not our primary goal as God's children. Our primary goal is that as many people as possible would be saved by the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ. However, we understand that people have immediate, real-time needs right now. And that God has also called us to meet those needs. He's called us to meet those needs in order for us to share the gospel message. So here we are very careful. When we support any missionary or any organization, we make sure that yes, they're providing for the needs of those who have physical immediate needs, but they must share the gospel of Jesus Christ. The gospel must always be attached. The fact that Jesus died, was buried, and rose again must be conveyed anytime Pole Creek's money is given to any type of an organization. In verse 18, we see that very clear in that last phrase, but in action and in truth. Action and truth. Both action in meeting that need, but also in truth in conveying the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. We must always be a people who convey a message of love that meets needs. And then lastly, I want us to see this. Because I think there might be some people struggling with this today because I know that I have in my life. It is a love that confirms. So when we think about this message of love, the message of love that uh, God conveys through his word, through the Apostle John, is a love that confirms. And we begin in verse 19 to see how that happens. This is how we will know that we belong to the truth and will reassure our hearts before him. Whenever our hearts condemn us, for God is greater than our hearts, and he knows all things. Dear friends, if our hearts don't condemn us, we have confidence before God and receive whatever we ask from him, because we keep his commands and do what is pleasing in his sight. Now this is his command, that we believe in the name of his son, Jesus Christ, and love one another as he has commanded us. The one who keeps his commands remains in him, and he in him, and the way we know that he remains in us is from the spirit he has given us. Did you know that your love for others confirms or denies the reality of your salvation? Now, let, let's, let's just be real here. There are people who have an initial interest in the gospel. And they say, you know what? That Jesus thing sounds really good. I think I'll get saved, right? And then maybe they pray a prayer. Or maybe they, they fill out a card. Or maybe they do something like that, right? Or maybe they get baptized, right? But it was just an initial interest. You know, Jesus even talks about a little bit of that in Matthew where he talks about the seed falling on different types of ground. It says that on that day, Jesus went out of the house and he was sitting by the sea and very large crowds gathered around him that he got into a boat and sat down while the whole crowd stood on the shore. Then he told them many things in parables saying, consider the sower who went out to sow. As he sowed, some seed fell along the path and the birds came and devoured them. Other seed fell on rocky ground where it didn't have much soil, and it grew up quickly since the soil wasn't deep. But when the sun came up, it scorched, and since it had no root, it withered away. Other seed fell among thorns, and the thorns came up and choked it. See, even Jesus knew that there would be people like that, who they would have an initial interest. Yeah, I like that. I like that Jesus stuff. I think I might get to be a part of that. But there was never a true repentance in their heart. There was never a God I submit to you as Lord. Jesus, I know you died for me and rose again. Will you take control of my life? There was never that. It was just an interest. And I think what happens is, is that as, as, we, as we go through life, we have many of those kind of people in our churches 
who said, yeah, I did that one time. Yeah, I prayed the prayer one time. But there's never been a love in their heart for others. There's never been evidence that comes out. And just being a church member is not evidence, my friends. I'm talking about the daily walk. I'm talking about what John's talking about here in, in, in giving of yourself and self-sacrificing for this, loving, loving others enough that you're willing to suffer for them. Now, I want to be clear here because we live in a day and age where love has become a gospel. Listen, love is not the gospel, but love is seen through the gospel. When you go throughout Asheville, you're going to see a lot of signs, love wins. Anybody seen love wind signs somewhere? As you're, yeah, they're everywhere, right? Now, we have to understand what does that mean? What kind of love are they really talking about? And when you dig down into it, it's a love that accepts everything, that tolerates everything. It's a love that says, you know what? You be however you want to be. You have whatever beliefs. You have whatever truth you want, and you can do that, and I'm okay with that. And that's the way the world views love. And a lot of people think they're going to get to heaven because they have that kind of love. Did you know that's not even biblical love? Did you know actually that is destructive? It would be like this. You have a loved one who relies on you financially. And you keep giving them money, but then you find out they're buying crystal meth with that money. Right? But I love them, and, and you know, they do spend some of it on food, so I'm going to keep giving them the money. Is that love? No, that's destruction. True love, I'm cutting you off. That's wrong, and it's going to kill you. You know what? God's word is the same way. True love is telling people what they need to hear, whether they like it or not. Because, listen, they may die and go to hell, because I tickled their ears and because I patted them on the back and I said, hey, that's fine if you think that's the way to heaven. That's fine if you want to live your life that way. I'm not going to rock the boat. So yes, I will accept your relative truth and your beliefs. That is not love. Love is this. I care about you and what you're doing is going to destroy you. And I want you to know that Jesus died for you and rose again so you didn't have to be a slave to that sin that you're wrapped up in. Will you repent and trust in Jesus today? That's love. Because listen to me right now. That is securing someone's eternity. That is putting them into a relationship with the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. And that is bringing them to the place and the purpose for which they were created. You will never have full fulfillment until you are in a relationship with the God who made you. Because you were made for no one else but Him. Understand that? So that is true love. That is it. And we have to understand that. 2 Corinthians 5, 17, one of my favorite verses in the Bible says this. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away and see, the new has come. Here, John is talking about doubts. And he's going through and he's saying, listen, your heart or your conscience may tell you sometimes, you know what? You're not saved. And listen, if you, if you do know Christ and there's been a time and a place where you've trusted him and he's transformed you like for, uh, 2 Corinthians 5, 17, Satan's next scheme in the, in the, in the trick book, I'm just going to go ahead and tell you, is he's going to make you doubt your salvation. And the reason he's going to make you doubt your salvation is, is because if you're t in turmoil trying to figure out your salvation and, and doubting that you're going to go to heaven when you die and doubting that you know Jesus, then you're not going to be able to devote any time to winning people to Jesus because you don't even know if you're saved or not. 
And what he's saying here is there's going to be times where your mind or your heart or even a demonic voice is going to try to get you to doubt your salvation. And what he says is that God is greater than our conscience. God is greater than our heart. And here is how I have always fought my doubting of my salvation is in Romans chapter 10, verse 9. I always go back to this verse. It says that if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and you believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, you shall be saved. So when I'm doubting my salvation, I'll go to that verse and I'll say, did I ever come to a place in my life where I said, Jesus, you're king, and I believe that you died and rose again? And if I did that, guess what the Bible says? I'm saved. I'm saved. And then we get these beautiful evidences that flow out from that. Do you love your brothers and your sisters? And then it goes on down and it says there's another way that you can know that you are God's. And it ends with the person of the Trinity, the Holy Spirit, in verse 24. It says, and the way we know that he remains in us is from the spirit he has given us. The spirit bears witness in our heart. Have you ever come to a place where you were in some sin? And you felt conviction in your heart that it was wrong? That man, man, I hate this. Maybe you lost sleep at night. Listen, that's conviction of the Holy Spirit. Did you know that lost people don't feel conviction from the Holy Spirit unless it's for them to say yes to Jesus for salvation? So let me tell you something. There's ways that you can know. And I want us to be serious both ways. If you are truly born again and you know Jesus is your Savior, I want you to be able to settle it today based upon the authority of God's word, that you're saved. But also, if you're here today and you say, Ben, maybe I'm one of those that just had an initial interest, but I've never had any fruit. I've never really felt just uh, this sacrificial love for others. I've never uh, been convicted by the Holy Spirit. I've, I've never done those things or felt those things. Then maybe you need to get saved today. But you know what's so beautiful about the word of God? It says, today is the day of salvation. Now is the accepted time. You can be saved today. You can make sure today. Nothing wrong with making sure of your salvation. But if I didn't stand up here and tell you the gospel, and maybe today is the last day that I ever see you, I want to know that you had the chance to trust in Jesus today. Amen. Let's pray.